The DSR Listener Survey is now here. Your voice matters, and we want to hear it. So please take a moment to fill out the survey and help us make our podcasts even better. You can find a link to the survey in the show description below. Thank you. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and it's that time of the week when we talk about the intersection of defense and technology. We call it We're All Gonna Die Radio. And this week, we've got an episode that makes that title seem especially apt. But don't tune out now, okay? We will make global gloom and doom um, fascinating for you. I know that because I'm joined as ever by my co-host, John Wolfstall. How are you doing, John? Uh, I'm good, David. Uh, Yes, I agree. The next 40 minutes will be well worth the limited time people have left. (laughs) That's just terrific. We're also joined by Heather Williams, who's the director of the Project on Nuclear Issues at CSIS and adjunct research staff member at the Institute for Defense Analyses. How are you doing, Heather? Uh, I, w- I was feeling great until that intro, you know, like you're putting a lot of pressure on us if these are some of the last words. Um, so, but happy well, to be here with you all. Look, if you want to intersperse good news into this conversation, proceed at your own risk. And uh, of uh, another friend, Jeffrey Lewis, who is the director of the East Asia Nonproliferation Program at the Middlebury Institute and is the host of the Arms Control Wonk podcast. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, I'm in upstate New York, so as far as I'm concerned, the nuclear war can't come fast enough. Well, when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, t- Life magazine would periodically run a photo of New York with the blast radiuses of different sized nuclear weapons. And I lived in New Jersey, and I felt really good that I lived just outside of the the biggest blast radius. Uh, but I, I'm glad to see that a specialist like you, Jeff, lives your life that way all the time. Wait, so does this mean, Jeffrey, when you're in Monterey, you root against nuclear war happening, but when you're in upstate New York, you're actually rooting for the war? Is that is that the dichotomy here? Yeah, basically. I mean, it does depend on targeting. The way I look at it is I'm outside of Schenectady, and if you put, I don't know, 50, 60 kilotons on Schenectady, you'd do a billion dollars in improvements. Right. <laughs> someone, born, someone born in Schenectady, I resent Ooh, that. Very that's, much. that's good. Oh, that's do you good. live there now? No. No. Fascinating. Tell me more about this decision. Your decision to leave the Eden that is connected in New York. See, uh, David, this is this is evidence that when the world is about to end, all rules break down. So I'm going to try to reimpose order and turn things back over to you. With well, this thank you, but I, I think the first uh, casualty of this discussion is connected in New York. Uh, look, one of the things that's happened in recent uh, weeks is that we've got new estimates of the uh, Chinese production of nuclear weapons. Uh, And it appears that the Chinese are producing nuclear weapons even faster than some of the China hawks had feared. What do you make of all this, Jeff? 
you know, it's a, it's one of these things that it's hard to express what the proper level of concern is. Because on the one hand, yes, China is producing lots and lots of nuclear weapons. And this is something that we have seen picking up steam now for a couple of years. A member of my team, Decker Eveleth, found the first of what turned out to be several hundred missile silos out in the Chinese desert. So you're watching China move from a tiny nuclear force of about 200 weapons up and up and up, right? And now they're at about 500. So that's a big change. It, it's also like a quarter of the size of our force in the United States. And so there is this kind of interesting question of how do you look at China's numbers coming up when they are still a fraction of ours and they will probably, I think, plateau around where we are today? Um, the, the, the China hawks that I talk to, um, you know, are all deeply alarmed at the speed with which they are doing this. But having said that, Jeff, uh, and this is something John and I talk about periodically, um, we tend to overestimate the strength and risk posed by every enemy. To what extent do you think we're doing that with China? Well, I, I think that it's, natural to want to overestimate the strength. I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to throw stones at hawks and, you know, I mean, does that work? Do the birds fly away? However that, what the, you, you work that metaphor out. That happen would be great, but so far they haven't flown yeah. away. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to do that, but I, I think it's a natural tendency to just count things, right? So, I mean, I think we saw that in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to count on on your opponent being spectacularly incompetent. So I understand why. On the other hand, you know, like what are nuclear weapons really good for, right? To my mind, what nuclear weapons are fundamentally good at doing is providing core deterrence. Uh, I'm not a big believer that num numerical differences really alter things at all. And so like, if we're not planning on invading China, I just, I'm not fundamentally concerned about the number of nuclear weapons they have. That sounds like a very mentally healthy view. John, see, that is a mentally healthy nuclear expert. We never have those on. There, there are so few of us. And be honest, if you had told me to guess who the first one might be, Jeffrey would not have been at the top of my list. <laughs> there's your, time yet. I can say what? something mentally unhealthy. Um, well, hopefully we'll get to that soon. John, what's your first question for Heather? Well, so, you know, it's a, we didn't even plan this, but it's a great segue. So, I mean, Jeffrey's right um, that, you know, China going well, from 200 to 500. Again? Jeffrey, you were right. You're, you're almost always right, Jeffrey. I tell people this all the time. You're, you're intolerably, you're intolerably well, right. Um, so, you know, we're going to have a feisty back and forth. So, but you're wrong in the sense that um, you may not care whether China has 250 or 500, but you know that the Washington security community uh, does care and is going to take that worst case, assume it's the new baseline. And if you doubt that that will happen, I want to ask Heather about another report that came out this week. It is, you know, Taylor Swift just released 1989 again, and I feel like it's 1969 again. You know, it's like there, there are five major nuclear things this week alone. So, you know, job security is good. Uh, the Strategic Posture Commission 
which was a congressionally mandated review of the U.S. nuclear posture and how the United States should adapt to this new world is out this week. And I want to ask Heather about it because she's been in uh, a number of these briefings and knows many of the commissioners personally uh, that basically came out and said, look, we need to be prepared to supplement our nuclear capability. And the Chinese and Russian additional capabilities are a challenge to U.S. stability in our alliances. So I wonder how you view both the China report and the Strategic Posture Commission um, hitting Washington and what's going to happen next. I want to say, Heather, before you answer that, that I am 100% certain that 1969 John's version would be the lowest selling album of all time. Um, the, the irony of this is I literally just bought the vinyl for the new, for 1989 Taylor's version. So this day um, feels like everything's coming together today. Uh, right. So Washington commission, just a quick comment on China first. I, I think I would add to Jeffrey's, um, insightful as always analysis. It's not just about capabilities. It's about the intent behind them. And Xi has been pretty explicit in saying that China needs to be prepared for an invasion of Taiwan by 2027. Um, and I mean, that's just one example of some of the statements that have been made. Uh, if, if we learn anything from the war in Ukraine, I would say when authoritarians say they're going to do something to one of their neighbors, we should probably listen to them and take them at their word. Uh, and so I, I think that that intent plus the capabilities is why, is why I um, for once, I am not as optimistic about Jeffrey as Jeffrey is about something. Um, but turning to the Posture Commission, because Jeffrey does know more about China than I do. So, I mean, on the Posture Commission, you know, I, I'll, here's what I'll go with. I'll, I'll go with what surprised me, what, what made me happy and what made me sad. Um, what surprised me is that you got consensus among those 12 commissioners for this report. There are some folks on that on that group who I think going into this I would have lost a lot of money if I had bet that they would sign on to statements that the program of record, which is the current nuclear modernization plan, for them to say that it is uh, necessary but not sufficient. And so I think if you got the fact that those 12 people signed up to that those statements it is really telling. So that honestly, that they got consensus on something like this really did surprise me. Um, something about it that made me happy I was really happy that arms control and risk reduction got any shout out. Uh, again, I, with some of the commissioners, I would have thought that those words were, uh, you know, were, were, would never make it into such a document. And so I, I understand why the report is mainly getting traction for saying, you know, maybe we need more capabilities. Maybe we need a different mixture of capabilities. Maybe it's both. But that arms control and risk reduction are accompanying that, I, I thought was a really important piece that, that hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. And then finally, a thing about it that made me sad is that the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, the foundation of the nuclear order, is barely mentioned. I think it gets two paragraphs, and those are really just about Iran and North Korea. And I, I didn't hear the U.S. is you know, vehemently saying, as it has in the past, that we remain deeply committed to the NPT and to our leadership in the global nuclear order um, to include treaties like that. You know, it talks a lot about U.S. leadership. I just would have liked, I would have liked for the NPT to have gotten a little bit more love. So that's that's what I thought of the Posture Commission. But in, in general, like, it, it was surprising that they all agreed to all that. Do, I mean, don't you think so, John, or did you see this one coming? 
Well, you know, I, I view this report as sort of an inside Washington baseball game and both sides agreeing to just call it a draw. Right, it, it's like when the All Star Game ended in a draw because they didn't want to tire out the pitchers, and everybody recognized that you know sort of wasn't that satisfying. You know, there there are people went in who wanted to say we need new sea launch cruise missiles, we need you know lots more submarines, and there are other people who would just never agree to that. And there's some people who don't care about the NPT or arms control at all, and the other people wouldn't agree to a report um, that didn't include some of that. So I, I think it basically, they just decided to disagree politely um, and let everybody sort of go and argue that the report captured their imagination. And quite frankly, I was surprised the NPT got two paragraphs because I think it's about a paragraph, a paragraph and a half more than senior leadership really care about the NPT or international norms in this environment. Do you have a view on all this, Jeff? Well, I mean, I just, I've (laughs) too much time. I mean, there's a reason I moved out of Washington. Like, I don't give a crap about commission reports. Like, they have their own internal dynamic. We know who these people are. And like, we like some of them. We might not like others. We respect some of them. We might not respect others. Some of you might respect more people (laughs) in that commission than I do. Like, this is not inherently a group of people I... I would look to for anything other than a good temperature take about where Washington is at the moment. And what it tells me is that people are pretty freaked out about China and like interesting, but like not particularly novel. I think one of the issues I have with commission reports and um, (laughs) John knows about that knows this about me. I mean, generally I hate participating in them because And I think this report is a good example of this. When you really push people on the more uh, dovish side, you know, what they tend to talk about is all the stuff that they kept out of the report. Um, And like, to me, that is the epitome of like beltwayism. It's, it's not what's in the report. It's all the stuff I kept out of the report. Like, well, nobody can see the stuff you kept out of the report. Like, so I just... I don't know. I mean, does anybody talk about the previous posture commission report? This is just, I don't know, a bunch of pages of paper that will go in a stack with other pages that no one will ever read. However, they will cite it. They will cite it. I will say that. They won't have read it, but they will cite it. You guys are hopeless wonks. I, I, I'm serious. I just have got to say, you're all very inside the belt, uh, inside baseball. Um, nuclear arms control wonks. And you're talking about process here. And this is called We're All Gonna Die Radio. And there are a lot of people out there who have nothing, know nothing about commissions, have never been in a commission, have never been disconnected in New York, and don't have the ability to, you know, piece all these things together. What they want to know is are we closer right now to using nuclear weapons than we were the day before? And is the risk going to go up or is it going to go down? And so I've got a question. I'll pose it to John and then to 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 both of you on that point. But John, I've been reading that the Russians are planning to do some new nuclear weapons tests. Clearly, more ink has been spent in the past. That's an old-fashioned reference, by the way. It's really electrons. But more electrons have died in the past few years to, to, to in 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 the in the process of of creating stories about the risk of nuclear conflict with Russia and where is the red line and what is it going to trigger them and clearly they haven't really thought of a way that they could constructively use nuclear weapons sounds to me like 
testing nuclear weapons is as close as they're going to get, but it's more saber rattling. What do you think? Well, I, I, I'm not going to duck it, David, because I think you're exactly right. Most of the people listening, hopefully, uh, aren't hopeless wonks like we are. Um, and uh, I think the question is, are we in a new arms race and are we all at, in mortal peril? And of course, this radio, this this podcast believes yes, but it's not only that the Russians might consider nuclear testing, and I'll turn to Jeffrey on that since his team of open source geeks have detected a lot of activity here, but the Russians also just completed a major nuclear exercise this week, which included the launch of a ballistic missile submarine, um, or sorry, a, a missile from a submarine uh, to demonstrate their nuclear capability, which is straight out of the 1969. Uh, I am going to put out that album, David, to test your premise. Um, uh, you know, playbook. And we thought this was all gone for 30 years. We didn't pay attention to it. And now we're playing catch up. So I, I think I think the sabers are being rattled. And even if they're not being done purposefully, the United States, Russia and China are now all in a cycle where everything they do is interpreted by the others as a challenge that has to be matched. And that's the definition of an arms race. So Jeffrey, uh, I'll, I'll turn it to you on the nuclear testing question, because I know you've, you've been concerned about this a lot. I mean, is, is that the next shoe to drop here? I mean, I don't know. It's a shoe that could drop. I mean, the Russians are doing a lot of work at the test site on test tunnels, on the infrastructure to support testing. Uh, Vladimir Putin has said he himself doesn't know if they need to resume testing, but he wants to be in a position to do it if the U.S. does. So, you know, you sort of add all that up and and it it looks like we're moving in that direction, but things change. You know, to go to David's point, though, about are we all going to die? I think that the point is the commission report doesn't have anything to do with answering that question. Right? And, and all it tells us is that people are anxious. And I think we live in this new era of deterrence. And yeah, I kind of think it's an arms race, but I don't think we're all going to die. I think we just forgot this is what nuclear deterrence feels like. Like this is what it feels like to be living in a situation in which you are guaranteeing your security with nuclear weapons. Uh, it, it sucks, right? It is frightening. And that's the whole point. The fact that we might all die, that it might be catastrophic is how nuclear deterrence functions. And we, we had a holiday from that. And, you know, I kind of wish we had found a way to make that holiday permanent. And I have my complaints about people who who uh, you know kept talking about the joys of relying on nuclear weapons. But that's where we're back to now, with nuclear weapons at the center of our security. They're controlling escalation uh, as we and the Russians fight an ugly proxy war in, in, in Ukraine. And it sucks, but it sucks, and that's why it works. And you know, if you don't like it, you have a problem with nuclear deterrence, and I, you know, over the long term, kind of agree with you. Heather, nuclear deterrence is great for the proxy war business. As we've seen with Russia, or we see with China, if you've got nukes, people don't want to attack you, but that lets you attack other people with some impunity. And so this is what big powers do these days. They go, they play away games uh, because nobody wants to play home games with them. And that, um, you know, is why, you know, China might think about invading Taiwan because you know, nobody's going to go into China after that. Nobody's going to cause World War III after that. You're likely to end up with a Ukraine kind of situation. The question is, is that more dangerous for the world or does that make us safer? 
So I am going to duck that question and challenge it and challenge the premise a little bit here. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you should. You can say that nuclear weapons are good for proxy wars because it really depends. It depends if it is a, a home game or an away game, how far away that home game or away game is. Um, it depends on a lot of kind of operational factors that I won't go into because I've already walked out enough um, and I, I want you to invite me back. Um, but I, I would say I, I think you're hitting on something that is important, which is that at the strategic level, it does seem like nuclear we- nuclear deterrence works, right? What was ult- what, what has Russia ultimately been trying to deter at the strategic level in Ukraine? NATO direct intervention and boots on the ground. And that piece has somewhat worked. However, they've also been trying to deter any sort of NATO support to Ukraine, and they kind of draw these red-ish lines that they keep moving, and that hasn't worked. But it's also working on the NATO side, you know? Like, if I, if I were Poland right now, I'd be pretty, pretty happy that I'm part of a nuclear alliance um, and the nuclear deterrence at the strategic level, um, you know, may have kept Russia from going beyond Ukraine. So I'm, I'm actually going to jump here and play my predictable role um, as the skeptic when it comes to humans' ability to control technology. Deterrence works until it fails. And the challenge, of course, is that if it fails, it can fail spectacularly. And not just because humans uh, make bad decisions, but because the technology fails, because we misinterpret. And Heather, you and I have had this conversation already. Yeah, it's possible that Russia has deterred Uh, the United States from putting boots on the ground in Ukraine with uh, nuclear statements. It's also possible that President Biden had never had any intention of sending American troops to Ukraine because they're not a NATO territory. And so Russia and others may have the impression their nuclear threats have worked. And in fact, they haven't had any impact at all. And, you know, 78 years after the invention of nuclear weapons, we're still really bad at understanding the psychology behind how leaders and countries uh, understand these weapons and whether they use them. And I, you know, interesting debate last night on on the site formerly known as Twitter, um, sort of like the artist formerly known as Prince, um, where I said, look, I think a big part of the reason that you see countries much more eager to rely on nuclear weapons is that we no longer fear them the way we used to. Uh, the first and second generation of leaders uh, in the nuclear age had survived World War II. They had seen both Hiroshima and Nagasaki and above ground nuclear testing. And now a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, we'll pop one off in the Taiwan Straits, no big deal. And that that scares the crap out of me because it undermines the fundamental premise of deterrence, which, as Jeffrey said, you know, is about we're going to rely on these things because if we use them, we all die to come right back to the radio show. Yeah. Or as the, the reference that gets made more often than any others, this is a strange game. The only way you can win is by not playing, right? Uh, the only, yeah, the only winning move is not to right, play. Exactly. So the, this is a point where we take a break and we say to everybody who is a member, stand by because you're a member and you get all sorts of bonus content, which is about to follow. And to all of those who really wish that they could listen to the bonus content and given the stakes in this conversation, I wouldn't blame you if you were one of them. Uh, go to the DSRnetwork.com, click on membership, become a member. It's $5 a month. It's not much. It doesn't support a giant media empire. It's just a tiny little company, but it lets us continue to produce these kind of podcasts. So go become a member. We'd be grateful. Um, but for now, uh, to those of you who aren't members, bye-bye. And to those of you who are members, stand by. 